Heavenly Father, we recognise that as your people in a hostile and sinful world, that we are so often lowly and despised in the world because we bear your name. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit to us this morning, even as we may feel lowly and down because of the way the world has treated us even in this last week. Send your spirit and invigorate our hearts and help us to not forget your word this morning. Oh, Lord, impress it deeply upon our hearts and give us encouragement so that we continue to honour your name as we should. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we continue our series today in the book of Colossians, and we're up to Colossians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul has been given, giving different instructions to the church in Colossae. He's, in the earlier chapters, encouraged them to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, he is the one who has cancelled their debt. He is the one through whom they have forgiveness of sins. And if he is the one who has forgiven their sins, then he is the one they must serve. And we've been looking at, particularly in chapter 3 and down into chapter 4, the different instructions that are given to the church in Colossae as to how they are to live. He has given them general instructions, then he's given them very specific instructions to particular groups, to, to, uh, to wives, to fathers, to children, uh, to slaves and to masters. And so we've been looking at those in particular at the end of chapter 3. And then last week we started to look at this instruction that is given to prayer in verse 2 of chapter 4. Last week we looked at chapter 4, verse 2, where we read, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The Apostle Paul expects that the Colossian believers would be devoted to prayer because they have needs that they are conscious of, they're watchful for those needs, and so then they come to God in prayer. And then it says there at the end of verse 2 that they're also thankful. If you are thankful to God for the many good things that are in your life, then of course you'll be praying prayers of thanksgiving. And the Apostle Paul goes on to not just make instructions about how they are to pray for themselves, but also how they are to pray for him and his companions. And that's what we'll be looking at particularly today in verse 3 and verse 4. In verse 3 we read, And pray for us too. He wants the people in Colossae to pray for him and his companions. Of course, Timothy is the co-author of the letter, so they should be praying for Timothy. What should they be praying for Timothy and for Paul and the rest of Paul's companions? Well, we read in verse 3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. They want a door to be opened uh, the, the Apostle Paul and his friends, they want doors to be opened so that they can proclaim the mystery of Christ. Now, why would they want to be able to proclaim the mystery of Christ? Why would they want these doors to be opened? Well, we read the purpose of that is in verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He wants the people in Colossae to pray for him that he may proclaim the message of Christ clearly. He wants a clarity of his message to be going out and, of course, of his companions, the message that is being given them from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would he want them to pray that he should be clear? Well, it's because those who proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ, preachers are the ones that we think of the most, can often be unclear in the way that they proclaim the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, that may be a shock for you to hear. It may be something that you are puzzled by. You have never heard an unclear sermon in your life. And so it is absolutely surprising to you that the Apostle Paul would need 
someone to pray for him that he would be clear. And of course, we don't need people to pray today for preachers to be clear because they're always clear. Is that the case? Well, no, sadly, I'm sure most of you would disagree and you would recognise that at times as you've visited churches that there have been very unclear proclamations made in Christ's name. Now, how is that possible? How can we be unclear in our proclamations of the truth? Why would it be necessary to have people pray for preachers of God's word to be clear? Well, firstly, it's by the way that the message is made dirty. Preachers can be unclear by having a dirty message for the people. They are not as clear as they should be. Now, I've got to be careful here. Of course, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is pure and good and clean at all times. It is not God's message that is dirty. It is the way that it is presented by the preacher of God's word. He is not clear as he should be. Why is this? Well, partly it is because the gospel is a difficult and mysterious subject to speak about. Even the Apostle Paul admits this in verse 3. This is why he's wanting prayer. He says in verse 3, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the clear message of Christ. No, it says the mystery of Christ. This message that we have about the Lord Jesus is mysterious. How is it mysterious? Well, there's so many aspects of the gospel that are mysterious, that we can't quite fathom to its depths, of course. Uh, You think of just the fact of the incarnation, God himself coming and dwelling on earth. That is mysterious. So many other religions find it abhorrent to consider that God himself would come and take on human flesh. It's a mysterious subject. And so, of course, we can dirty up the message. Preachers can dirty up the message as they speak about the incarnation. Or you think about the atonement, the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross, where he takes the sin of sinful humans upon his shoulders at the cross. What does it mean that God bore the sins of his people? It is a mysterious subject, the atonement, and we can't plumb the depths of it. But preachers try, and in their efforts to do so, often they are unclear and they dirty up the message. And even the fact of the the truth that is proclaimed in the New Testament, particularly that Gentiles are welcome, non-Jews are welcome to be part of the body of Christ. Uh, The Apostle Paul often, when he speaks about the mystery that is in Christ Jesus, he is referring to the fact that Gentiles are now welcome to be part of the people of God who were pretty much exclusively the Jews in the Old Testament. And that is what is even taught in this letter in uh, in Colossians, back in Colossians chapter 1, you may have to think back a number of sermons ago, Colossians chapter 1 in verse 26, where he speaks about, uh, in verse 25, about the commission that he has as God's servant, and he says in verse 26 about presenting the word of God, in verse 25, sorry, and then in verse 26, he says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. What's this mystery? Well, we looked at it and we saw in verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, among the Gentiles, non-Jews, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery that it is that Gentiles are welcome and they have Christ in them. That's a mystery in itself as well. What does it mean that Christ lives in you, that God is in you? So the content of the message is mysterious and difficult for us to understand. So in the hands of sinful, foolish men like myself, the message is often made dirty as they seek to proclaim the truth. It isn't clear as it should be. Wrong interpretations are made of Scripture. 
Big words are used that complicate matters so that the person can't understand. Bad illustrations are given that don't quite illustrate what is supposed to be uh, the truth that is to be conveyed to the people. How else can the message be made dirty? It's by the preacher not remembering his audience, not being conscious of who he's speaking to, and then not applying the message rightly. Application is so important as you bring the message of God to people, that they apply it to their hearts, and the applications are right and true, and we've got to know our audience to communicate effectively, to use the right words, and of course, to use the right applications. Uh, And Jesus is a perfect example of someone who communicated effectively to his audience. He knew who his audience was, and the people loved him in his communication. We see in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, it says, The large crowd listened to him with delight. They were delighted to hear Jesus speak. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 47, it says, Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. So you've got these these religious leaders. They're trying to kill Jesus as he's teaching every day at the temple. But why don't they kill Jesus? We continue in Luke chapter 19. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. They hung on Christ's words. Yes, the religious leaders had a problem with him. But the common man, they loved to hear him. He communicated so effectively with them. He knew exactly the right words to use with them, that they could understand the concepts that he was teaching, and they were delighted with the way he spoke to them. And so that's the way that religious leaders today, preachers of God's word, can muck it up, is they don't know their audience, and their audience is not hanging on their words because they haven't been conscious of the best way to feed the sheep that are before them. Spurgeon, that uh, great Baptist preacher from uh, two centuries ago now, from the 1800s, he once commented that Christ said, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. But some preachers put the food so high that neither sheep nor lambs can reach it. They seem to have read the text, feed my giraffes. And it's true. Some preachers, it's, they pitch way too high. They're pitching right above their audience, and so people are not being fed. There's lack of clarity in their speech, and so people do not understand. A clear preacher gives the message in a simple form, so it is simple to understand. Any fool can make something difficult to understand. It's a wise person that makes something difficult, simple to understand. And it takes effort on the preacher. And it takes prayer. That's how you get a clear preacher, with a clear content. The Apostle Paul was aware of that. That's why he says in verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He recognises his own failings. And he needs prayer if he's going to have a clear message for people to understand. What else can make a message unclear? What else can make a preacher unclear in the presentation of the gospel? Well, it's a dirty life. He can make a dirty message, he can muddy up the message of God, and he can also have a dirty life, which affects his message. If you have a proud preacher who lies, is even embroiled in some sort of sexual scandal, they mar the message as it comes out, and it is not clear. I've seen preachers who preach the gospel clearly. They had a clear message, but they marred it by moral failure. It's like a dump truck just backed up and tipped its load of dirt all over the preacher and his message and people just can't hear what he's got to say because they're so conscious of his sinful failings and they're not interested in what he has to say because 
of his sin. His dirty life has mucked it up. And the Apostle Paul is very conscious of this in the way that he teaches in other parts of the Bible. He says to Timothy, uh, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your doctrine, yes, but watch your life as well. The way you live affects the clarity of your message. If you're proclaiming something, some good doctrine, but don't match it up with your life, you do damage to the sake of the gospel, to your proclamation of the truth. Because he says in watch your life and doctrine closely, and he follows it with persevere in both of them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You save yourself and your hearers by the way that you proclaim a clear life as well as clear doctrine. And the apostle Paul practiced what he preached. He didn't just teach watch your life and didn't watch his own life, we see again and again that he draws people's attention to the way that he lived amongst them. And one of the clear examples of that is in 1 Thessalonians. Turn with me a couple pages over. If you're in Colossians chapter 4, you've basically got to turn one page over. 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, where he's writing to the church in Thessalonica who had the blessing of having the Apostle Paul live amongst them for some time. The church in Colossae, if we remember, did not meet the Apostle Paul as far as we can tell. Chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, let's read from verse 5, where he speaks about his ministry amongst the church in Thessalonica. What characterised his ministry? It was a life of purity. We'll see that in verse 5. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The Apostle Paul wasn't a lecturer in an ivory tower who stays up there and and tells you what to do, and you never see whether he does it himself. No, you see here in Thessalonica, he was amongst the people. He was there and he treated them well. He treated them like a mother or a father. And so he was one who was conscious of his life and how it can dirty up the message that he is proclaiming if it is a life of sin and greed and taking advantage of the people that he's trying to minister to. So how do you get a clear preacher in himself? Well... The Apostle Paul knew, and it's by getting people to pray for him. The reason he was what he was in Thessalonica was because people were praying for him. He was getting people to pray that he would be a clear preacher of God's word. And that doesn't just include his message. It includes his life. What's a third way that a a preacher can muck up the message, cannot be clear in his proclamation of the truth? Well, it's by a dirty delivery. We've got three ways, basically, that a public speaker can muck up the message. It's by the message itself, a a message that just is not clear in itself, by his life, and then thirdly, by his delivery, by giving a dirty delivery. A good message can be delivered by a godly man 
but delivered badly. It can be delivered lifelessly, without conviction, without passion. How does a preacher make such a dirty delivery? Well, it's usually by a lack of variation in the voice. A lack of variation in the voice. You can have bad volume. You can be too quiet. Too quiet. Or too loud. You can have bad pitch. You can be too high. Your, your voice is always up high. Or too low. All the time. Or a monotone comes across in the preaching. It can be bad by bad speed. You can be too fast. Always speaking very, very quickly. Or too slow. And it goes on and on and on. And you're quite sort of almost lulled to sleep. Now, there's a place for being slow, there's a place for being fast, there's a place for being high, there's a place for being low, there's a place for being loud, and there's a place for being soft, and there's places in between. A good preacher is able to move amongst all those different realms and vary his voice as he proclaims the truth in his delivery of that truth. Now, I can give you an example. You can have the pure message of John 3.16, but it can be delivered very badly. It can be delivered... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so you guys here this morning, you should really believe and have eternal life. Is that a good delivery of a pure message? Or what about for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish have eternal life. Won't you also have eternal life by repenting and believing this morning so that you have forgiveness of sins and look forward to a heavenly home? Can you see the difference in the, way, the delivery there? Now, why would there be a difference in delivery? Why would someone speak very quickly for a whole sermon or speak in a monotone? Well, usually it's fear of man. I mean, this is a perennial problem for all our sins, isn't it? And for the way we muck things up, it's fear of man. You see that with Moses in the Old Testament. He is fearful to go to, Mo, uh, to Pharaoh and speak the message that God has given him. He even says, Lord, some, send someone else. Not me. Send someone else. He's afraid. And even the Apostle Paul has reason to fear and muck up his delivery of the message isn't it interesting how he describes himself there in verse 3 as he's asking for prayer? What does he say about himself? Verse 3 of Colossians chapter 4. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Do you think those chains would have led Paul to have a different delivery of the message if he didn't have the chains around him? that there be a greater consciousness that the more I keep on talking about Jesus, the more these chains are going to be on my hands and I'm not going to be released as quickly as I might be if I just kept my mouth closed and didn't deliver such a clear message about the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul struggled with fear as well. The, pas the parallel passage to this is Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, if you look at the end of Ephesians, there's so many parallels to what goes on in, in, in the book of Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Pray also for me. Sound familiar? Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The Apostle Paul asked that he would declare it fearlessly. Wouldn't you think that the Apostle Paul is one of the only people on the planet at that time who wasn't afraid 
But here we see him admitting, I need courage. And how do I get courage? It's by you praying for me. That's what conquers our fear, is by God hearing the prayers of people. And then what does God do? He sends his spirit. And the Spirit's power surges through the man so that he preaches with passion. He delivers the message faithfully without fear of what people might think about him getting loud about the message of Christ because he doesn't care because the Spirit is working through him. He doesn't fear man. Instead, he only fears God and mucking up the delivery of God's message through him. And that's what the Apostle Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, my message, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words like some of the, uh, the visiting speakers that would go around the Grecian Empire, uh, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Uh, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul knew that if the message was to be effective, it needed the Spirit's power to accompany it. And how does that come? It's by prayer for that Spirit's power. The Spirit moves where he chooses. The only thing we can do is come to God in prayer and beg for the Spirit's power to be upon the preacher of God's word. So how does a preacher become unclear? By, by dirting the message, by mudding up the message that is given by God, by a dirty life. People can't hear because they just know that you're a moral, um, immoral person. Or by a dirty delivery. Now this word, this Greek word that's here in Colossians chapter 4, clearly, it's actually closely related, the Greek word, to another Greek word which is used in reference to shine, so a shining, and we think of the sun, when we think of shine, we think of sunshine, don't we, that the sun would shine brightly, and that fits well, because that's what the preacher's meant to do, he's meant to shine into the darkness of people's cold and sinful lives, and I think the best illustration that I could think of, of how the preacher is meant to have a clear message for God's people, is by thinking of a skylight, I have the benefit of having a skylight in the back of my office there, and it's really handy through the day. It lets in so much light so I can see my bookshelves and I can benefit from its light. But really, the skylight doesn't have a light of its own. All it does is let through the light of the sun, and that's what the preacher's supposed to do. The preacher doesn't have a light of his own. What's he meant to do? He's meant to let through the light of God's word, of Jesus himself, the light of the world. And the preacher, he can be a dirty skylight with wrong interpretations of the message, with big words and bad illustrations. And some light is getting through, even from a bad sermon. You can often get something. It's an unclear sermon, but you get something. And some light's getting through, but he's mudding up the message like a dirty skylight. Some light's through, but not what could come through if he didn't muddy up the message and his content was clearer. Or it can be a skylight that's actually a frosted one, not one you can see through. It's frosted in the middle. You know, think of frosted glass, and it's, it's got that content. It's the glass itself. It's not dirty. It's the way it is. And so the light comes through, but not as well as it could. And I think that's like the man himself. If he is dirty, it affects the message. It may be arrogance and pride and lies and sexual scandal. It blocks the light from getting through as much as it should. He's like a 
frosted skylight. Or it can be a skylight that has light, but not much warmth of delivery. Not much warmth of delivery. See, skylights, some people really like them, and some people don't like them too much because they do let through some heat. They let through some heat through their glass. And the the preacher, he should be a skylight that does let through the heat of the gospel message. It should come through. It should be that the hearers, as they hear him preach, are going, ouch, this actually hurts. This light that is being shone into my life, it hurts. It's a little bit too uncomfortable for me. It feels like it's burning away some of the problems that are in my life and some of those sins. And that's how the preacher should be. He should be giving a warm delivery so that the Holy Spirit is working upon people's hearts. I fear that many preachers are more like double-glazed glass. I've just uh, found double-glazed glasses uh, for my coffee. And it's such a wonderful thing, these coffee mugs that you can get. And it's double-glazed glass, which means it doesn't burn your hands when you try to pick it up, and it keeps the, the, message, uh, the, the coffee hot inside. They're the most wonderful pieces of technology. I'm surprised they don't come with batteries, the way they work so effectively. Uh, but it's obviously the physics within the double-glazed glass. You've got these layers. And, yes, you can pick the glass up, and it's not hot at all, even though the content within is boiling hot. And that's, I fear, how some preachers are with their delivery. They're like double-glazed glass, that the message is there, the godly life may be there, but no one's getting very hot about it, including the preacher himself. He's like double-glazed glass. He needs to be super thin instead, so all the heat of God's message is getting through to the people. So you can be, a preacher can be a skylight that's dirty, he can be a skylight that's frosted, he can be a, a skylight that lacks warmth of delivery, that's like double glazed glass, or he can be a skylight that is so clear that you barely know it's there. You barely know it's there. I had a, uh, my grandmother, she used to uh, clean her windows, I think, almost every day, if not weekly and her kitchen windows. And once I remember as a child thinking the window was actually open, but it was closed. The glass was so clean, she just kept it immaculate that you couldn't actually see the glass was there. And that's what you want for a preacher. So clear, you forget he's even there. You're not conscious of the preacher. You're simply marveling at the sun hanging overhead, which is Jesus Christ himself, and enjoying the light and the heat that the sun gives to the coldness of your sinful life. Do you want such a preacher? A preacher that you actually forget about because you are taken up with God and his son and his Holy Spirit as he communicates so effectively with his message and with his life and with his delivery of that message. Do you want such a preacher? Well, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. What's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you mental strain. Why? Because such a preacher is going to cost you prayer. That's what we're looking at this morning. Verse 4, it says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It's going to cost you private prayer, and it's going to cost you corporate prayer of gathering with God's people to pray for the proclamation of the truth. No amount of money can buy a crystal clear preacher of God's word. It only comes by prayer to God. 
Many churches have given big salaries to preachers who end up giving more fog than light. But there's other churches that make large prayers for a preacher and end up with a preacher who sweeps the fog away and they concentrate on the light found in Christ Jesus. You can't pay for a clear preacher, but you can pray for a clear preacher. You may be saying, oh, no, it's all up to the preacher. It's his responsibility to be clear on Sunday mornings. Yes, I have a responsibility to be clear, but you've also a responsibility to pray, and that's what this text is teaching us today. If the Apostle Paul needed people to pray that he would be clear, doesn't your preaching elder here at Moines Baptist Church need your prayers in order to be clear? A preacher is only good as his people's prayers. A preacher is only as good as his people's prayers. If you don't pray much, don't expect much from me when you come to hear what I have to say. So will you be ones who pray for me because I'm the one who fills the pulpit most? Do you pray for me here? I've selfishly, though, focused this morning on prayers for myself here at Des Moines Baptist and for the Des Moines pulpit, really. As I've been preaching, speaking this morning, I've been saying about preachers, preachers, preachers. But as we look at this, and I hope you will pray for me in the pulpit here, we've got to be conscious that the Apostle Paul was asking people to pray for him to preach messages that they probably would never actually hear. The Apostle Paul had never visited Colossae and probably never would. But he's getting them to pray for his sermons that he would pray to others, uh, preach to others that they would never even hear. And so that's what you need to be doing as well. Not just praying for the sermons you will hear in this pulpit, but praying for others who proclaim the message of Jesus Christ as well, who you will never get to hear. You should be praying for clarity for missionaries and other pastors of churches that are dear to you, even if you never hear them. And will you also pray for other Christians, to be clear, for one another to be clear in your proclamation of the truth? Because you all have a responsibility as well to administer the message that is being given to you, to deliver it with clarity, to make sure the message is clear, to make sure your life is clear so that people have ears to hear what you have to say and don't think of you as a religious hypocrite, and also that your delivery would be clear, that you won't stutter and stammer, that you will be clear in the way that you speak. Won't you pray that for others? When they speak in homes and workplaces that you will never hear as they speak? And won't you pray for your own self, that you will be clear, that you will give a good message, that you will have a life that matches up with the message and that you will deliver it well? And if you hear a clear sermon... Won't we remember that it's because someone somewhere prayed? It's because someone somewhere prayed. When people at the door after a service, they often, very kindly, they thank me for the message and they say positive things to me. And I say often, sometimes not so often, and sometimes there's negative things that come to me and I take those on board and try to improve. But people often will say thank you to me. Who should they really be thanking? It's the people that prayed. It's the people that gathered before the service and prayed for my preaching. It's the people who gather tonight who pray for my preaching. It's for the people who privately pray for me all week long. 
There are some people who say, I pray for you every day, Joel. They're the people that should be thanked if you hear a clear message from this pulpit on Sunday. And what does that then mean? Who, who really is responsible if you hear a clear message at Moines? It's God. Because they're thanking God. He is the one who has heard the prayers that a clear message would be delivered. And in his mercy, he has sent his spirit so that a clear content is there on Sunday, so that a clear person is there on Sunday, and a clear delivery is made. And so all glory goes back to God for a clear message whenever it is delivered. A clear message, a clear sermon is yet another sign of God's mercy to sinful people, that God is a kind and gracious God, and he has allowed his people to hear a message from himself by his messenger. So pray for preachers and pray for all Christians that they would be clear as they share the gospel. And thank the Lord when you hear a clear message and enjoy such messages, recognising they are a gift from God. Every clear sermon you ever hear is a gift from God sent by a good God through his good messengers that he's invigorated in their hearts for your good. And then enjoy the results, because often those clear messages as they go out, they do find open hearts, and people are affected. Christians grow and become stronger, and people actually become Christians. The miracle that we sometimes take for granted happens where an unbeliever becomes a believer because a clear message was delivered by a clear man with a clear delivery before them. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the infinite and mysterious God. But you have revealed yourself clearly to sinful humans. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for often muddying up your message, for dirting your message, we ask that you would help us, though, to share the gospel clearly. May our message and our lives and our delivery of your gospel be clear so that people are saved and your saints are strengthened and so that we can rejoice in your answer to our prayers for the clear proclamation of your good news. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.